This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. And in my particular section, as we wrap up this teaching, I've been talking about a, a relationship in particular, and that is the relationship um, between husbands and wife as, a, as pointing to Christ and the church. And, you know, so in, in looking at that, and we'll get into it as we get into the teaching today, I was looking at that there that there is there are things that that we can learn about Christ in the church by looking at marriages. There's also things that we can learn about marriages by considering Christ in the church, his attitude towards his his care for his deep love for the church. And it should inform our actions. It should inform the value that we put on the institution, because God is truly trying to get something accomplished. This is not um, any, any uh, relationship in general. The marriage relationship is a relationship in particular. We said that marriage is a divine institution created by God whereby two rational, free moral agents, a man and a woman, who are born again, choose to enter into a life a lifelong commitment with an imperfect person. And so some of the things that, that we pointed out that are, that are extremely relevant is that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. God had a design. He had a, a purpose in mind when he instituted marriage to be between a man and a woman. Marriage is between two rational people that, that, that these were two people that had the ability to make a choice. And they chose freely. They chose freely to make a lifelong commitment to an imperfect person. Each, each party knows that they themselves, that they're, that they're not perfect, but also they don't, they, don't, they don't demand, they don't even expect perfection in the other person. They, they expect that there are some incomplete items, that there's, there's areas of work that are needed in the other party. The focus of this teaching is to, is to talk about marriage as an institution that points to the relationship between Christ and the church. And we, talk, we said before that, that we're going to um, you know, sort of dig into that, how, how you can look at your marriage and maybe get a greater understanding of, of what God is trying to do with the church. You should be able to look at the church and get a greater understanding of what God is trying to do in your marriage. In all things, God's will is to be accomplished. He is to get the glory. We said that... Um, the principle that, co- that governs our relationships in general, just in general, is, is the principle of unconditional love. When the scribes asked Jesus, well, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is to love God with all. And he said, the second is likened to it, and that's to love your brother as yourself. And so the principle that governs our relationships in general is the principle of unconditional love. And what unconditional, unconditional love means is that my love towards you is not based on your actions. It's not based on anything about you. But my love towards you is based on my trust in God. When you see people that can't love someone else, when you see people that cannot extend love, you got to wonder, well, what, where is your trust in God? Where is your trust in God? 
Because it's not because that person is a so-and-so or because they did such-and-such or because they came from this particular place. No, that should not hinder your love. Your love should be based on your trust in God. We said that, uh, that under the principle of unconditional love, you, you'll see acts of, of kindness. In unconditional love, you see acts of kindness. And these are things like forgiveness. They're, they're, they're acts like, like fellowship. They're acts of, of generosity, of pouring out and pouring into one another. And this, and this, it's, it's, this is a, a basic relationship, and it's not to be set aside, but marriage is a relationship in particular. It's not to set aside the, the, um, the, the acts of kindness. It's not to set aside the forgiveness, the fellowship, the generosity that should be present in your marriage. But this is a relationship in particular. And what, what we're saying by this is that this relationship is governed by the principle not of unconditional love, but it's governed by the principle of sow and reap. It's governed by the principle of sow and reap. When we talk about that marriage is, is a relationship in particular, what we're saying is that what, what God does is he takes some things that in our eyes would seem commonplace, would seem ordinary, would seem just run-of-the-mill and basic. God takes some of these examples these illustrations, and he's communicating a spiritual truth. And one of the examples that we used was, uh, was, was in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel, as they were traveling out of Egypt, before they were in the land of promise, they began to, to complain because they, they were thirsty and their livestock were thirsty. And so you would think that, that providing water for people in the desert, that's a basic need. I mean, who can fault the people for wanting water? I mean, it's hot. They're in a desert. They're in a dry place. And so, but, but God, God wanted to use that particular, the, the provision of that basic need to demonstrate or to point to a greater spiritual reality. And, you know, I know in this church we always say that we don't want to, uh, you know, jump to the conclusion that, that you all have, have studied these things and that you have, um, have, have retained the information that, that's gone before. And so where I'm talking about is in the book of Numbers, in chapter 20. And again, uh, this, is, this is Moses. He's leading the children of Israel. And I like it because, you know, whenever I see children of Israel, I want to I call it the nation. But they're not a nation yet. God is still... He's still trying to pour something into these people. Right now, they're just children of promise. They have potential, but they're not where they need to be yet. And so, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 20, Moses is, is uh, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into Canaan, and they're in this, they're in this desert place. And in, in verse 1, it says, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin. In the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. And that's where Miriam died and was buried there. And it says, And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And so the people began to complain. And not only did they begin to complain, but they said, Well, let's, let's, let's challenge the leadership that God has put in place. 
And if you jump down to verse 6, and it says, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. So Moses and Aaron, they, they immediately, they, they left the people and they began to intercede and to pray for the people because they knew that the thing that the people were doing, this, 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 uh, this, um, this insurrection, this rising up, this demanding for what they believed was theirs, that God would judge them for that. And so the Moses, the leadership, they got on their faces before God, that God would have mercy and that he would not judge the people. In verse 8, this is the Lord. He gives instruction to Moses and Aaron. He says, he says, he says to Moses in verse 7, The Lord spake unto Moses, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And so, I'm sorry, I, I hope you, you didn't miss that. He says, And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. And so Moses, he heard the instruction from God. And God says, look, I have the way to provide for these people and their, their basic need. And their basic need. And Moses was like, you know, God, I, I see that you care about this, this simple thing. But I am so frustrated that these people do not already trust in you, that they're not already where they need to be. And he, and he, um, and so what Moses did, he, he began to vent his frustration. And in verse 7, it says, in, Mo, in verse 11, it says, And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock. Twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. So God told Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses, in his frustration, he struck the rock, and he struck the rock twice. And yes, water did come out, and the people and the beasts were fed. But God was, God was not pleased. God was not pleased with the disobedience of Moses and Aaron. And although God did provide for that basic provision, he was not pleased with disobedience. You know, we can't get confused that when God has provided for our basic provisions, that we believe that God is pleased with the way that we conducted ourselves. And, and I know you think I'm talking about something else, but I'm talking about marriage. We can't become confused that although God has made provision for those basic needs, that he is possibly not pleased with the way that we conducted ourselves, with our disobedience to the word that he gave to us. And Moses, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because he spake unto Moses and Aaron, and he says, because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. And that place was called the place of strife. And so we see that, that, that although God did provide for and God always was going to provide for and all, God always does provide for 
the needs of his people. But first and foremost, he demands obedience. See, it wasn't that God was just trying to provide for the people in their current need. He wasn't just trying to provide for the people in their current need, but he was trying to make a deposit into the people. He was making a deposit into the people. He was speaking into the people that which was to come. He was speaking into the people concerning a greater reality. And so if you go into the, into the, into the New Testament... We see that when it talks about that rock, that that rock that, that, that was spoken of, and it says that the rock would give forth his water, that that rock was actually representative of, of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, that he is actually the rock on which we stand. And the water that was coming forth was not just natural drink. But it spoke of water, of, of waters everlasting that would be satisfying to the soul. And if you look in, the, in John chapter, I believe it's John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the woman in Samaria in John chapter 4 verse 10. It says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it, who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. See, God wasn't just concerned about the current needs, the current distress, the, 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 the basics. But he was actually speaking into the future of that nation and testifying of those things that would, be, that would come. And in, jump down to verse 13, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the, the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well springing up into everlasting life. You know, when we're talking about, and, and I know you're saying, Brother Ebar, you're talking about water, you're talking about basic needs. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your marriage. About your 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 earnest desire and your 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 um, your need that you that you said that I have to be in this in this situation I have to find someone your your desperation in and how you came together that God he not only understood what your needs were but he says you know what in this in in fulfilling this basic need that I'm speaking not only to you, but I'm speaking to generations to come. I'm speaking of the Christ. So, in sow and reap, the principle that governs marriage, and that, that's why marriage is a relationship in particular, in sow and reap, because, because God is trying to, to demonstrate in our marriage, not just how he takes care of us now, but he's trying to demonstrate how he has provided for us for times to come. And so the principle of sow and reap, it, it, it's how we receive the provisions of God. And under the principle of sow and reap, this is where we find acts of obedience. You know, it's good to have unconditional love and it's good to have kindness. But sometimes in a marriage relationship, you just need to obey. 
sometimes the marriage relationship is going to require more of you than just your unconditional love, than just your fellowship, than just your generosity. You know, some days you're going to wake up and you're just not going to be feeling it. Some days you're going to go, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to come into that house and it's not, and, and it's not going to be what you thought it was. You're going to turn over and look at that person lying next to you and be like, you know what? Some, sometimes it's just that sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. But that, that's, that's why the principle of sow and reap is in effect. Because it's governed by acts of obedience. Acts of obedience. And we talked about examples of sowing and reaping into the marriage. Physical sowing and reaping. We talked about how the man sows into the wife and children are produced. Emotional sowing and reaping. How, how the husband can sow confidence into his wife. And now she understands her place. She understands her position. And she's able to be productive. He can also sow confusion into the marriage. And now the confused wife, she does nothing. Because she doesn't understand what it takes in order to be a help to you. Because you're confused. We said that, the, that in looking at a principle, that the way that we understand a principle is that we have to see the patterns that have been set up for the principle. That, that if, if we try and get you know, specific and prescriptive, that some of you may say, well, these things don't fit my situation. And so I want to encourage you, you're saying that these things don't fit my situation, that you need to look at the pattern of the principle. In the pattern of the principle of sowing and reaping, there's a pre-existing authority. It's, it's already been established how it's governed and how it should function. That there is effort expended in faith. What does that mean? It means that there's work that you need to put in. But this is not the kind of work where you put in a little and you get out a little. Where you put in a little bit more and you get it out a little bit more. No, this is the kind of work where you're going to put it in. And you're going to put in and you're going to put in and you're going to put in. And you're not going to see the results. But you're going to put in and you're going to put in and you're going to pour in and you're going to pour in. And you're not going to see the result, but you're going to pour in and you're going to pour in and you're going to pour in. And in the fullness of time, then the results will come. It's work expended in faith. The, the, the farmer, he doesn't plant seeds and says, I'm going to plant five seeds today and I'm going to look out tomorrow and see what's come up. If there are not five stalks there, then why did I plant those seeds? That would be foolish. That farmer would go hungry. His family would be in need. No, he sows the seed. He works the land. He sows the seed. He fertilizes the land. He sows more seed. And in the fullness of time, then the harvest comes forth. He's expending effort and faith. In your marriage, you're not going to be able to say, well, look, I gave you a cup of coffee. And now, now you need to love me. Now you need to show devotion towards me. I bought you a car. Why don't you respect me? You know, I gave you this child. Why don't you love me? No, you're going to put in the work. You're going to put in the work. You're going to put in the work. And then you're going to put in the work. And then you're going to put in the work. And in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, you'll see the results. And listen, as you're putting in that work, within the principle of marriage, there's always an expectation. 
You're not, you're not, you're not working as someone that's working in vain, but there is an expectation. There is an expectation of a result. And the reason why there has to be an expectation is because your expectation, it dictates the quality and how you work and how you labor. If you have a very small expectation, then your work will be very small. If you have a very limited expectation, then your work will be limited. Then your effort will be limited. But there has to be an expectation of a result. This is a mystery. But see, the only thing about a mystery is it's it's a secret that has yet to be revealed. When the secret is revealed, all of a sudden now it's obvious. Now it can no longer be hidden from you. That's what God is trying to show you about his relationship between the church. And he's trying to show it to you in your marriage. The design of marriage is to reflect the love that Christ has for the church. We said before that, that, that we see it even in the beginning how, how when God made all of creation, that, that when he put all of creation in, 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 into being, that, that finally he created his man. Finally he created man and, put the breath, and breathed the breath of life into him. And it says that after he did that, that there was rest, that there was peace. That God was like, this, this, this work is now completed. That in the same way that, that, that he brought all the animals before the man, Adam, the man. And Adam could find none suitable to him. He couldn't find anyone that, that, was, that was appropriate for him. He couldn't find anyone that was, that was capable of helping him in the work that he needed to get done. But when God put him to sleep... When God put him to sleep and he brought the woman before him, then he said, whoa. Then he said, whoa. This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be one flesh. We see that God's design in marriage is to bring forth a godly seed. That the commandment that's given to Adam in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Where it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over everything, every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That the commandment to get, that the commandment to be fruitful and multiply, it's more than the quality of the seed. It's more than the quantity of the seed, I'm sorry. That to be fruitful and multiply, it means that the seed has to have substance and has to be able to reproduce after its kind. God's desire in your marriage is for you to produce godly a godly spirit in your children. He wants his people to leave a godly seed, a deposit in this present world for the generations to come. That your marriage, the design for your marriage is to have an enduring expectation of Christ. 
that even from the beginning, that it, it, it says that the, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That that was speaking about Christ and the work that he would do. In Genesis 18 and 19, it talks about how Abraham, how he would command his household to keep the way of the Lord. And apologies, they keep telling me that, that you know, I, I give these scriptures and, you know, people don't always go to them. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. It says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And so God is, God is expecting a godly seed. He's expecting a deposit to be put in the earth for generations to come. In looking at your marriage, in looking at your marriage, there should be things that you see in your marriage that speaks to God's relationship to the church. First of all, in Genesis chapter 2, this is where we wanted to be this morning. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 22, it says, In the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. We see that marriage, it was established by God. That it is His intention and that it serves His purpose. And so in looking and considering marriage, know that God is a God of intention. That God is not a God of accidents. God is not a God of happenstance. God is a God of intention. That God places in the earth that which serves His purpose. That which serves His purpose. And so that's one thing that, that, that you should understand for your marriage about God's relationship to the church. That God is very intentional about His church. That God has a design for His people. Also know that, that marriage, that it is affirmed. By Jesus Christ. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verses 6 and 9. This is when they, when they are questioning Jesus about can we put aside marriage? Is marriage really important? Is, 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 is this, that's just another relationship in general, right? We know that there are grievances between brothers. This is just another example of a grievance that we can have with our brother. And Jesus says, no, this, this is a relationship in particular. God is trying to show something with this, with this relationship. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6, it says, But from the beginning God made them male and female. And he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God have joined together, let no man put asunder. That God, that, that, that God, when we look at this, that Jesus, he affirms marriage. What this means, what the word affirm means, that he defends it. 
that He stands behind it. Know that God stands behind His church. There should be a defense in your marriage against all outside and inside detractors. I love how they, 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 they give the oath of office and, and they say that, that we're sworn to protect the, the, uh, the nation against enemies, both foreign and domestic. He says, you know what? Threats from the inside and threats from the outside will be defended against. God, He defends His church. Your marriage should be defended. Your marriage should be defended. We see that marriage, it's, it's, it's approved of by the church. And what does that mean? It means that it is acceptable. It is accepted by the church. It is an acceptable, the acceptable standard. And that's in, that my, my scripture for that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. A passage that, that we've looked at in detail, but just real quickly in verse 2. It says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Marriage, it's approved of by the church. It's acceptable. That means that this is the acceptable standard. It's not acceptable to fornicate. It's not acceptable to be found outside of the marriage covenant and physical relationships. No, but marriage is acceptable. Jump down to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. It says, But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Marriage is acceptable. God approves of marriage. In the church, marriage is approved of. It's acceptable. Jump down to verse 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. It says, But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. It says that marriage is it's not to be forbidden. It's not to be cast in the light of, well, you know, they got married, so they're, they're no longer... No, marriage is acceptable. It is acceptable. When you look at, at, at your marriage, there are things that you need to understand in your marriage about what God is doing in the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, In Ephesians chapter 5, what is, God, what is God trying to show me about His church in my marriage? What is God trying to show me about His church in my marriage? It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath walked in love, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So what you see here is that, is that in your marriage, you should understand that, that, that God is, he is perfecting. He is perfecting the members. In your marriage, God, you should see that God is that you are a work in progress. 
Understand that you are a work in progress, that God is the object of your worship. That Christ, He is the standard of love. That Christ gave Himself to us as an acceptable sacrifice to God. So what God, what God is trying to, to demonstrate is, is that he's, he's perfecting His members. He is perfecting worship in His people. That we look not to the outside world, not to any man, not to any woman, but that the object of our worship is the Lord, that our worship is from the lesser and it goes to the greater. What do you need to understand about the church as you look at your marriage? You need to understand that, 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 that in the church that there is order. And that order is established for your protection. In your home, there needs to be order. That order is established for your protection. Same, same book of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 5. Looking at verse 22, it says, Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's trying to show you something about his glory, about his relationship with the church based on your marriage. He's, he's saying, this, I'm giving you a working example. This is a, this is a workshop. This is, this, is, this is the clinic. You need to understand this. You can't miss this. That's why this is a relationship in particular. The things that you need to understand about the Lord. And, it's, and the understanding will come to you in your marriage. Verse 25. Husbands. Let's jump up to verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. Something else that we need to understand in our marriage about the church is that your homes, that they need to be ordered. They need to be positioned for effectiveness. That there is a, a placing in your homes. There's a positioning in your homes for effectiveness. Staying in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, it says that he might present to himself. That he might bring to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. It says that husbands, that you need to nourish and cherish your wife, even as the Lord nourish and cherishes the church. Now, what does that have to do with, with placement? What's that to do with, with positioning? How are we supposed to see that? So in, in placement and positioning and the nourishment, we see that, that, there is, that there is maturity, that there is productivity, that needs to be developed and has to be developed through training. It has to be developed through training. 
Husbands, you can't expect that your wife knows what's in your mind that you haven't spoken. God is is trying to do something in particular in your marriage. He's trying to show you his pattern. He's trying to show you how he operates. When God wants us to know, he doesn't expect us to guess, but he sends for his word. In the same way, husbands, you need to speak and let the word of the Lord be known in your house. Maturity will only come forth through training. In positioning your home for effectiveness, you're going to have to cherish and and foster growth with tender care. Positioning means that you're going to have to set apart your wife in a place of safety. You're going to have to set your wife apart in a place of safety. Listen, we know that, that Scripture talks, that, that Jesus says that upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That he has set the church apart into a place, of, that his church, his church is set apart, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Husbands, this living example, you have to set your wife apart. And put her in a place of safety. Now what is that place? This, this, this is a place where she can hear from God. Where she can become productive. Does that mean that, that you need to cloister your wife? That you need to shut her in and shut her off from all external influence? Listen, don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not even saying that your wife needs to stay home. And that she can't have any occupation outside of the home. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is... Is that in all, you need to put your wife in a place of safety. If nothing else was learned last year, we need to have learned that this world does not care about us. It doesn't care if we live or die. Husbands, you need to put your wife in a place of safety. She has to be able to say, well, you know what? Because of the, of the demands in this house... Because of what God is trying to do with this family, there are things that I cannot do for the outside world. Because this is my priority. You need to put her in that place of safety. She, she should not feel as though or be put in a position where she has to make the provisions for the house. I'm reminded of... of Moses, as he was on his way to do the will of God, to speak to Pharaoh, to speak to power, speak truth to power, that God says, look, i got something to show you about truth to power. There's, a, there's an example in your own marriage that I need to show you, that you haven't even circumcised your own house. And his wife had to come and, and circumcise her sons and, and threw the foreskins at his feet said that you, you are, you're a bloody husband to me. That God, God is trying to show you in your marriage. You, you, think, you think you know. You think you have revelation. But God is trying to give you revelation through your marriage. Husbands, you need to put your, put your wife in a place of safety. 
safe from internal and external assaults. You're going to have to put her in a place where, where the things that she says about herself, where the, the scars that she's carrying from her childhood, they can't, they can't impact. They have no effect on her productivity. Where she's able to heal from those things and to move forward. Why? Because is, is, it, is it just because she's pretty? Is it just because you like her? No, it's because God is trying to do something with his people. He is trying to leave a deposit through your marriage that will be in the earth for generations to come. It's not, it's not just about your needs for today. It's, just not, it's not just about appeasing your desires for today. But God is trying to show generations to come Christ. He's trying to show his promise and the fulfillment of his covenant. And so as we look at, at marriage, again, we know that marriage is a testimony of Christ in the church. That it's established by God. That, that it is affirmed by Jesus Christ. That he, he, defend, he defends marriage. That it is approved by church. Marriage is the acceptable thing. Marriage is accepted. It is acceptable to be married. It is not acceptable to live with someone as though you were married and not be married. It is not acceptable to have a fake marriage. No. Marriage, marriage is acceptable by God. In this pattern... God, he's, he's, he's showing that, that there is perfecting in our worship. That there is perfecting in our worship. You would think that marriage would be about the people that are in the marriage, but marriage is for, first and foremost about your worship to God. It's first and foremost about your worship to God. That he is the object of worship. That Jesus Christ that he is the standard of our love. And in that standard, he gave himself as an acceptable sacrifice to God. That there is an ordering. An order is established for protection. That order is established for protection. That there is a positioning, that there is a, a placement. And placement and positioning it's established for effectiveness. And in that effectiveness, husbands, one thing just, just take away from, from this message is that says you need to provide a place of safety. You need to provide a place of safety in your marriage. You need to provide a place of safety in your marriage. From any adversities that could come from outside or inside the marriage. A place of safety where, where your wife is able to make mistakes, where she's able to learn, where she's able to grow. Where she's able to hear from God. And, and, and the reason why, why you need to establish it is not, it's, it's not so you can get a good dinner cooked. It's not so you can have a pleasant date night. Look, it's not about 
It's not about your basic needs. It's not about your basic needs, but God is trying to do something in your marriage that is going to point to Christ. He's, he's, he's doing something in the now, in your marriage, that will point to eternity. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.